0: We're talking about the throne of God, and as you know, we have been in the study through the seven churches. We took last week to talk about where is the church, and I believe that the church is in heaven, that the church has been raptured, and now we're going to see the throne of God. And the throne of God, all the way from chapter 4 through chapter 18, there is no mention of the church, no mention of the church. So this makes a compelling argument for a pre-tribulation rapture. And if you don't agree with that, that's okay. <laughs> you might be right, or I might be right. Guess what? We're going to find out soon, aren't we? Things are unraveling. So the throne of God, Revelation chapter 4, 1 through 11, if you would stand for reading of God's word. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper, and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed with white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne was a Sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give honor, give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that we are getting a vision, that we're seeing what John saw in heaven. The throne of God in chapters 4 and 5, we're going to see our great and awesome God and how our great and awesome God will carry out what he said he will carry out in the seal, trumpets, and bold judgments that are to follow. Lord, you are awesome. You are omnipotent. You are transcendent. You are all-powerful, and you will accomplish what you say you will accomplish in these coming chapters. Thank you for the privilege of studying the Word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now again, chapters 2 and 3, we talked about the church, and the church is conspicuously missing in these following chapters, all the way until chapter 19. Chapters 4 and 5, I believe the church is in heaven. It's going to be the 24 elders. I'm going to make an argument for that in just a few minutes. But the church is not mentioned on earth anymore anymore until chapter 19. That is a compelling argument for a pre-tribulation rapture. One of the things we went through last week when we talked about where is the church, we talked about Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. This was the 70 weeks prophecy. And if you remember, the 70 weeks prophecy had to deal with 77s or 490 years, which were given to the nation of Israel once they came out of captivity. Once they came out of captivity, they had 490 years. That was going to be the end of this whole thing, had they believed in Messiah. But at the at year 483, Messiah was cut off. Now we have a picture here. You've seen this probably several times in different different versions. But the decree went out to build the wall, and when the in in, in uh, uh, what was the guy Nehemiah. Nehemiah went out the no Nehemiah two one. There it is. Okay, thank you for saving me right there. Uh, Nehemiah two one. From the going out to the decree to build the wall or build Jerusalem until the coming of Messiah, there would be 483 years, or one person calculated it, 173,880 days from the going out to the decree until Messiah would come and accept his kingship. He was crucified, exited earth, and there was a gap here. Time stopped for the Jewish people at the 483-year mark. There's a gap called the Church Age. And I believe what happens at the end of the church age is that when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, when the last Gentile is saved, the rapture of the church occurs, and then Daniel talks about a final week, a final week, a final seven-year period of time. And we emphasize that an entire week, where God changes his picture from the church, or what he's, what he's focusing on from the church, to the nation of Israel. So I believe that's a compelling argument. It's the seven years in their entirety that are devoted to the nation of Israel until they plead for him to return. Now, chapter 4 begins with a new vision of the throne of God. A new vision of the throne of God. It's the Lord's personal message. The Lord's personal message to the churches is over. I believe, again, that they're exited. Now it's time for the churches to see the future events that are coming upon the earth. They're going to see two great things. We're going to see two great things. Chapter 4, we see the throne of God, and we see all this kind of weird stuff there. Uh, You see the the shininess of God. You see the streets of gold. You see these four creatures that who knows what in the world that's all about. We see that in chapter 4, and in chapter 5, we see the scroll, the deed to earth, the title deed to earth, or or God's last will and testament. He's going to bring back or buy back or take back planet earth. The book is sealed until Jesus opens the seals. Remember, we had a picture of the scroll in an unraveled like this, and each seal is peeled back, giving us information of what's going to happen in the future. In verse 1, we see, after these things, and the Greek word is metatawa. after these things, after speaking about the church. Now, after these things, we're at the throne in heaven. And the reason that we're at the throne in heaven, you must understand this, is so that we know that God, omnipotent, will carry out exactly what he said he's going to carry out in chapter 6 through 18 with the Great Tribulation, with the whole Tribulation period. So, verse 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now those who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture oftentimes use this verse as one of their texts to claim or to, to signify that why they believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I don't think you can I don't agree with this. I think that this isn't the one that you would use for that. I believe that John is just being caught up to give the vision of heaven. With that said, after these things, after those things in chapters two and three. now remember there's a sequence that's going on here. God dealt with the church. Now he's dealing with the throne of God. And then he's going to tell us that this one on the throne will carry out the things in the tribulation period. Then we see Jesus returning in, at the, in, in Revelation chapter 19. And then we see Jesus' millennial reign in chapter 20. Then in chapters 21 and 22, we see eternity. Jesus is going to carry this out. The first voice that says, says come up here. And it's a loud voice like a trumpet. And we've heard this voice before. I don't know if you remember this, but in chapter 1, verse 10, John hears that same voice like a trumpet. What is the first thing that John sees when he gets to heaven? He sees a door standing wide open. So he's entering through the door only on invitation. He's caught up, and he's caught up very quickly. He's caught up immediately into the presence of God. Jesus claimed that he was the entry point. So the, so it's a picture of an entry point into heaven. That's number one, sorry, Reagan. And, then Je- and Jesus claimed that he was the entry point in John 10, 9. Jesus said, I am the door. You think there's any coincidence that he's saying I am the door? When the door of heaven is wide open, I am the entryway into heaven. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. There is one door. There is one entry point into heaven. Now that would be a time for you to say amen because that's we can agree with that. Jesus also said no there's all kinds of people that, that think that there's multiple ways that you can get to God. Any world religion check your check out whatever world religion you want and that'll get you to God because that's your way. Folks, it's not a smorgasbord. This is one one item on the menu. And that item is Jesus. There's one door. Jesus made it very plain in Matthew seven thirteen through 14. He said, he said enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and, and many go in by it. And narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There's no smorgasbord. There's one way, and that's Jesus. David Jeremiah says this about the open door. Quote, twice in the book of Revelation we see an open door. The first time in Revelation 4.1 when John sees a door standing open, the last time is Revelation 19.11 when he saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. The first time the door opens, someone goes up. The next time, someone comes down. We hear the voice like a trumpet, and it must be, must be absolutely stunning to hear this voice because he's mentioned it in chapter 1. He's mentioned it again here. This must be a voice that gets everyone's attention. Boom. The command to come up here is given by Jesus. Now, why does he do this? For what purpose does he do this? To show you things which must take place, catch this word, after this. After the churches. After the throne of heaven. After the scroll. After the seal. He's going to... Show us the seal, trumpet, and bull judgments. They're going to be opened in chapter 5. Chapter 6, they actually are opened. After these things, after the church is gone, after the church is raptured, the seven churches were the focal point. The church will no longer be the focal point. Why? I believe the church is gone. And God's focus is on the day of the Lord. It's on the nation of Israel coming back to him. That final week. It's not a final three and a half weeks, it's uh, three and a half days in that week. It's not a final go to the six days of that week as a pre-wrath belief, and then the, then the rapture comes, and then go into the, tri- the, the millennial reign. I believe it's the whole week. Why did John see these things? Well, he didn't see it to puff him up. He didn't see it to go on tour to tell everybody that he saw Jesus and he saw heaven and all that sort of thing. He was to do something very specific. He was to pen what he saw. 119 says, write the things which you have seen and John did that just for us and everyone future. Again, God wants his people to know. He, he wants you to know what John saw, and John wrote it down specifically so that we know. So what does God expect of you while you're waiting? You are the bride of Christ. What does he expect of you while, he, while you're waiting? This is important. God wants us, every one of us, to be faithful to him, to not fall asleep, To to be sober in this present age, to to be constantly on watch, to be constantly be ready, and do not be deceived. There's all kinds of deception that's going on. Do not be deceived. That is an exceedingly important point. Watch and be ready. Now, what do we watch and be ready for? The signs of the times. Now, folks, you are seeing things unravel right before your eyes that are signs of the times. The signs of a one-world government. The signs of a one-world ruler that's right on the horizon. This anarchy in the streets is to bring the world together under one umbrella. This is not what God wants. This is what Antichrist wants. This is what Satan wants. It's the antithesis of what God wants. So you have to have eyes to see what's going on around you. Are you awake or have you been lulled into complacency? That's the question. And I I want to suggest this to you. You are few. You are a remnant church. And if you express your feelings to this culture that is not just getting a little bit gray into dark, it is into darkness. We are plummeting. This is a plummet. This is a free fall into darkness. America is on the precipice of becoming exceedingly dark. Be ready for scoffers. You give your biblical worldview, be ready for scoffers. 2 Peter 3, 4, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? You Christians have been saying this all along, and he still hasn't come yet. Where is the promise of his coming? Scoffers then, folks, scoffers now. God holds us responsible to view what is going on around us with spiritual eyes. Refuse, let me say this as adamantly as I can, refuse to be indoctrinated. Now, you're getting things 24-7, like I've said multiple times. You're bombarded every day with something that is negative. Have a biblical worldview, and do not buy into the deception. Do not buy into the lies. Do not buy into the distortions that we're seeing in our world today. In verse 2 and 3, John sees the throne of God. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper, and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rain, rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Did you catch the word appearance, like, appearance, like? He cannot really describe what he's seeing. He's doing the best that he can. That's the same thing that people did throughout Scripture. We'll get to that more in just a few seconds. First of all, notice how quickly John is in the presence of God. Does it say, just he took a slow little float up to heaven, said hi to all the stars. No, he didn't. It was immediate. Boom. Now, what might this be a picture of? The rapture. It might be a picture of the rapture. Yes, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Listen to this. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now, we have covered this verse many times, but this is a little different for you today. A twinkle is faster than a blink, and a blink is about the fastest thing we do, okay? A twinkle is so rapid, someone can't, you, you cannot detect it. A twinkle is a reflected particle of light. Now, listen to this number. That light travels at 983,571,000. 56 feet per second. The rapture will be that fast in a twinkle. It's much quicker than a blink. Here and then gone. And I want you to think about something. John is caught up into heaven, and he's caught up into a different time frame. He's seeing something that is future. He's seeing the throne of God. And I believe he's seeing the church in heaven. The 24 elders, I think, are the thr- are, 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 are the church in heaven. He's seeing future. He's seeing chapters 6 through 18. Future. That is significant because God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is outside of time. Our God is a great, awesome, big God, and he is transcendent. Over his creation. In other words, he's not in the timeline, he is outside the timeline. He sees the beginning and he sees the end of this whole thing. That's an important thing to remember. I am the Alpha and the Omega. He sees the throne of God 40 times in the book of Revelation. We see the throne of God, and every single time it represents absolute power and authority. What are John's eyes drawn to? The one on the throne, God Himself. Let me tell you this, when you get caught up to heaven, it isn't going to be the flowers, that the pretty flowers that you see. It isn't going to be granny and grandpa that you saw. It's not going to be your brothers and sisters that you saw. God is the centrality of heaven. Make no mistake about this. Despite all the grandeur, and I think it's going to be the grandeur beyond our abilities to believe. Besides all of that, God is going to be the absolute sole focus. Nothing compares with God. Nothing. Nothing. How does God, how does John describe this? Kind of light, dazzling light, precious stones, dazzling splendor, brilliance, brilliant and precious. There's no competitors with God. Hear this. And we see this today more than I think we have ever seen in our country. Puny man shaking their fist at God, and saying, you will not reign over me, God. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And what does man do? They think they can kick God out, and they think they can rule better than God. We're going to have this one world government because we're going to reign peace on the earth. What a lie. What a lie. They are in for a shock. Antichrist, the false prophet, the earth dwellers, all are in for a shock. The Antichrist is going to be the earth dweller's hero. They're going to think he's got all the answers. He's going to be mesmerize the world. But in, in short order, at the three and a half year point, they're going to find out the truth. This guy's a madman. Death and destruction will reign at an unprecedented level during this time. Mankind without God, their creator, is helpless, incapable of self-rule. Let me say that again. Mankind without God, is incapable of self-rule and safety for the people. Let me give you an example. Every place that atheistic communism has raised its ugly head, do you know that in those nations, sometimes millions of people were killed in order for them to enforce their, 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 their way of looking at life, their communistic rule? Millions. And you know what the first thing that they do whenever a communist country takes over? The first thing they do is take away the guns from the populace. The Second Amendment is under is, is under threat now. Look, at Chicago has the strictest law, gun laws in the nation. The strictest in the nation. And there's utter slaughter there. If you take the guns away from law-abiding citizens, the, the criminals are still going to have them. Let's have a little thinking here. Government. The second thing that they do after they take away your guns is they take away your historic history. All your statues get torn down. Anything from your past gets torn down. And then finally, they take away your freedom. And what I want to say to America is learn America. Learn America from history. When God is kicked out, carnage follows. The lawlessness in our cities is just a preview of coming events murder, carnage. No law, looting, and government leaders turning a blind eye to what's going on. This is a preview of what's going to happen in the tribulation period. We are just seeing a a little bump of what's going to happen. Now contrast this darkness and lawlessness with the throne of God. We see God in all of his splendor. He rules all of his splendor. He's on his throne, and we know his holiness. We know his purity, our God reigns. Not puny man, not man that thinks they have all the answers. God has no competitors. Our God is an awesome God, and he reigns. I want to get that through. I mean, you've heard that like 12 times now. You're going to hear about 12 more, okay? It's going to be a lot. The unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all the earth dwellers that follow them are nothing compared to God. Let me say it again. Nothing compared to God. What you are seeing in our cities is the result of godlessness. Just a preview of godlessness. That's the tragedy, and our leaders don't see it. Our godless leaders don't see it. When humans see a glimpse of God, they are moved with awe. The human language is inadequate to describe him. Here, A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, which I've quoted many times, he's talking about God incomprehensible. Quote, he says this When the prophet Ezekiel saw heaven opened and and beheld visions of God, he found himself looking at that which he had no language to describe. What he was seeing was wholly different from anything he had ever known before. So he fell back on the language of resemblance. In Ezekiel chapter 1, he quotes this, As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. The appearance of the throne of God and one who sits on it, though like a man, is so unlike one that he can be described only as the likeness of the appearance of a man. We can't even have language to describe our God, but yet we're going to rule. We're going to reign. Puny man Oh, I, this is so great. I mean, I'm talking to Chris about these verses, and she said, well, we're just sheep. We're just sheep with little skinny legs and little skinny arms, and we're going to fight with God. Remember, your arms are too short to box with God. Okay, you can't. Uh, he, he's got a long reach. You've got a little reach. Folks, when you think about God, the throne of God, you can almost just, with the, with the songwriter, you can just like blast out, there is no rock. There is no God like our God. No other name worthy of all of our praise. That is our God. That is who we worship and follow. In verse 4, we're going to see the 24 elders. And I wrote here, who are the 24 elders? Who are these guys? In 1969, there was a movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were Robert Redford and Paul Newman. And they were slick bank robbers. And they. They could get in and get out. Nobody could catch these guys until one sheriff was hired. And that sheriff got on their trail. And they kept they they were running away using all their escape methods that worked all the time in the past. And they thought they were free. And they got their binoculars out. And here's the dust coming. And the dust keeps coming. And they think they're free. And the dust keeps coming. And they both look at each other and go, who are those guys? Well, that's what I'm saying here. Who are these 24 elders? Well, let's find out. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Who are these guys? I believe, well, some people say that they're angels. There's all kinds of guesses on this. Some people say, and this, is, this is, could, could be a good one, the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. If you don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that's where you're going to fall on this thing. Because you're not going to look at the church as being in heaven at this point. Okay? But I want to make an argument for, for, the, for this being a, the church being in heaven. I believe they represent the church raptured in heaven prior to the tribulation. Why do I believe that? Is it just because I'm prejudiced to a pre-tribulation? I can tell you no. I'm looking for the truth in this thing. I, I'm responsible to teach the truth as best I can. And I know that there are very wise men that look at this quite different than I look at it. So I want to be very careful that I have at least something to stand on and say, well, Lord, this is what it said. So anyway, first of all, the word for elders is the Greek word presbyteros, and it's always used to describe leaders of the church. It's never used to describe angels in that way. The elders are sitting, the second thing, elders are sitting, their work is done, and they are given authority to rule. Angels are ministering spirits, which seems to imply that they're always at work. Thirdly, the elders are clothed in white robes. This is a very significant point. You go back to Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. It talks about the overcomers shall be clothed in white garments. These are the garments of righteousness that we have once we're saved, the redeemed. And finally, the 24 elders have crowns of gold on their heads. These are Stephanos crowns. Jesus has a diadem, a king's crown. These are Stephanos crowns. These are overcomers, victors crowns. This is something given to humans. This is something I believe is given to the church. This is promised to the one who overcomes in Revelation 3.21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about the scroll, and I'm doing the scroll, and you're going to see in in verse 9, there's going to be more evidence that these 24 elders in verse 5, 9, and 10 are the church, are the redeemed. But that's for next week. Something to think about. Arnold Fruchtenbaum in his footsteps of Messiah says this. He's, quote, Four prophets saw the throne of God and recorded their experience. They were Isaiah in chapter 6, Ezekiel in chapter 1 and and chapter 10, Daniel in chapter 7, in John in Revelation chapter 4. And then he makes this observation. Neither Isaiah nor Ezekiel mention the 24 elders, indicating they were not present in the Old Testament. Daniel mentions multiple thrones, but gives no details to the number or the occupants. And when we were in that section of Daniel, we talked about the angelic council and that sort of thing. This was my edition, not Arnold's. Then the Arnolds goes on to say, this is the consistent with the church being hidden in the Old Testament, even in visions of the prophets. Only John mentions the 24 elders in heaven, the church, a mystery revealed in the New Testament, In quote. Now, just think about this. No matter how you view this whole thing, at some point, the church will be ruling in the millennial reign of Christ. But who will not... Who, but who will reign? We are given a hint in 2 Timothy 2 11 through 13. Now, I want to make a delineation here because I think that many people are saved, and when they get to the bema Seed judgment, they are carnal Christians. They are saved as through the fire, and they have no works and they have no rewards. And then you have other people that have done what Jesus has called them to do and will be rewarded generously. That's the premise of what I'm going to say here. So, Paul speaks to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, and he says this, this is a faithful saying, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. That's every believer, carnal Christian, fervent Christian, whatever, however that whole, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you received the gift of salvation, you will be in heaven. I don't know what you're going to be doing if you haven't really served him, but It'll be great still, okay? I I, I know that much. Next verse says this, and this is the tip-off. If we endure, we shall also reign with him, rule with him. Those are the people that have made it through the testing and the trials and have done what they've been called to do. What we do for Christ here, folks, matters. Matters. This is not insignificant. (laughs) This matters. And then there's a warning to rejectors: If we deny him, he will deny us. That's why people get their heads chopped off and say, I will not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Polycarp could stand there and be burned with the fire against the stake and say, I will not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they went in the Colosseum and went to to the circus, Nero's circus, and they died. They would not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. This is a huge warning. It's a huge promise, and it's a huge warning. In verse 7, the seven spirits of God, excuse me, in verse 5, the seven spirits of God. And from the throne proceeded lightnings. Now, watch how stimulating this is. From the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, I want to suggest to you that this is a picture that is far from tranquil. The seven spirits are representative of the Holy Spirit. That's what I believe it is. And from the throne proceeded, watch this, lightnings, thunderings, and voices. This is a scary scene to some extent for John. And the reason I say that is you're going to see that in just a second. Let me just continue here. At least it's a stunning scene. This is depicting, this is a quote from John MacArthur. He says this, this is depicting a firestorm of righteous fury about to come from our awesome, powerful God upon a sinful world. All humanity must know, God is about to unleash his wrath on planet Earth. Everyone must, need, must know this. Now, we look at God, and we, we look at him so different than what he is. There's a Psalm 50 that says, you thought I was altogether like you, and I can say, no way. God is not like your big brother. He's not like your big Herculean uncle. He is totally different than us. He is God, the creator, and we are the created. The mere presence of our holy God is terrifying. Exodus chapter 19. The setting is Mount Sinai. God is going to give the law in Exodus chapter 20. And he approaches the people, and he says, people, get ready. He tells Moses, get the people ready. Consecrate yourself. Prepare yourself to see the Lord. And then he said, put a boundary around them, Moses, so they don't try and burst into my presence, because if they do, they will die. And after three days, finally on the third day, God appears on Sinai. And this is what it says when God appears. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings. Have we just heard that? Lightnings, a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of a trumpet. We've just heard that in these prior verses. was very loud. So all the people who were on the camp trembled. They didn't say, oh, goody, oh, well, I get to see God, and it's so great. They, st- they knew what it was like to be in the presence of the holiness of God. It was an awesome thing. And they trembled and they stood at the foot of the mountain and the fire is is on the mountain. It's smoke ascended and the whole mountain quaked greatly and the people are terrified. Moses goes up and he gets the law. He comes back down in Exodus chapter 20 and the people hear God speak the law. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God and so on. And in chapter 20, verse 18, the people are in the presence of God, the one that they wanted to burst into the presence. Now they know who this holy God is. Watch what they say. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning, flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, oh, you speak. You go speak with them. Let not God speak with us, lest we die. See, we're so, so, so arrogant to think that we can just stand in the presence of God. Oh no, not in the condition we're in. We have to be covered with the righteousness of Christ. That is absolutely essential. God is not like us, and John is going to let everyone know, let all humanity know that the one who is going it's that says he's going to carry out these judgments in chapter 6 through 18, he is fully capable of doing it. He is God. Now we're going to see the four living creatures in verses 6 through 8. Before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal. Now we've heard a lot about this. I I can't imagine what that'll be like. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and the back. We can't imagine that one either. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night. They have eyes around them. They have eyes inside them. They see everything that's going on. This is some strange stuff. You've got to agree with that. John's eyes go from God to what is surrounding God on his throne. And the question is, who are these creatures? Hey, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, there's some evidence that they could be cherubim. So, Some believe that they're the cherubim, the highest order, which we, Ezekiel 1.5. Others believe they're seraphim. They get this from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. What you need to know is that God has a hierarchy and order even in the angelic realm. Cherubim would be the highest, then seraphim, then archangels, then messenger angels. And I think there's other angels that have other assignments that may have other titles that were not given in Scripture. There's all kinds of angels, and they're at work in our world today. What do these beings do? What's the cherub's job? It means to guard. The actual word means to guard, to set a guard. Now I had a question. I thought, well, what does God need to have his throne guarded? I mean, who can take anything from God? Who is going to have the hubris to try to go up against God? And I started thinking, well, no, no, these people, these angels, these cherubim, they're just given a job. That's their assignment. That's what God is allowing them to do. They think they're doing something. It's like when you're cutting the grass with your kid, and, you, and you're, you're mowing like this, and he's got the little toy mower behind him. He's going, he's just, he thinks he's just doing the same thing. No, no. He's just doing what you allow him to do. That's what they're doing. They're fulfilling their purpose that God created them for. Some people believe that these are four cherubim, and then there was a fifth one, Lucifer, who rebelled against God. And we know in Ezekiel 28, 14 through 16, he was the anointed cherub. means he was head of the whole thing. He said, I established you on the holy mountain. You walked back and forth amidst the fiery stones. You were perfect in all of your ways. And then it says, till. Iniquity was found in you. And then what happened to him? He was cast from the mountain of God, and God says, I destroyed you, O covering cherub. Remember this. Sin always destroys. Sin always destroys. It destroyed Satan, and it destroys humans. Now, there's many views on who these creatures represent, and I'm not going to get into what they really are because these are all guesses. The one thing that we do know, if you're looking at these creatures like a lion, I think they're they're symbolically saying that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Like a calf, he's strong and humble. God's God's patience. If he looks like a man, it's God's crowning creation. He crown, created humanity in his image. And then like an eagle, it's quick and majestic. It's God's sovereignty. There's all kinds of views on this. The main thing that you want to remember about these creatures is that one day you will see them. Isn't that amazing? We're going to see this throne. We're going to see this glass. We're going to see these creatures. And we will understand then what we do not understand now. One of their jobs is to exclaim continually. And this is what they do. This is what they were made to do. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Can you say that with me? Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is holy. There's much mystery here, folks. We are simply given a peek behind the curtain, and one day we will completely, we will know completely what all these things mean and who these creatures are. Right now, it's just a supposition. You'll see all kinds of things in different commentaries, what people think they are. Hey, have at it. For now, we simply do our best to stand in awe of what God has created. He is an awesome God. Omnipotent God, incredible God. And finally, verses 9 through 11, all of God's creation will worship him. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord. This is what I think you're doing. This is what we're going to be doing in heaven. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Listen to this. The worship of God seems to be the cornerstone of heaven, it goes on constantly. Now, why all the worship all the time? Now, this is a meism, okay? This is what I think. I believe that once we get to heaven, we will start to understand, just start to understand, the amazing, how amazing God really is. I don't, We cannot grasp it here. We cannot understand him here. We're too depraved now to understand the holiness of God, the awesomeness of God, the power of God. And out of an overflow of gratefulness, I think we'll be worshiping him for who he is forever and ever. The heavenly host worship him. All humans in heaven worship him, and even God's enemies will one day worship him. How do I know? Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, those on the earth, those under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That means everyone, folks. Heaven has no problem we have no problem bowing before our god the earth those on earth who believe in god have no power with believe, with bowing before our god but those who are unbelievers they will bow and those under the earth whether the demonic and in, in in holding tanks or whether they're the lost in holding tanks waiting waiting for the great uh, the, the lake the great white throne judgment lake of fire they will one day bow before god Our world today does not honor God. And as a matter of fact, our world today generally degrades God. But even worse, they ignore God. They ignore him for who he is. They don't want him in any way, shape, or form, unless it's the one they make up. See, if I make up my God that does exactly what I want, I'll worship that God because it's really an extension of worshiping myself. I'll worship that one that I make up, the one I can boss around Yet, listen to this, all of humanity, even the ones that shake their fist at God, benefit from God's goodness. It's called common grace. Matthew 5.45, Jesus says this, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. God's common grace is given to all humanity. Think about what we just read about the throne of God, all the praise and the worship that is going on. And I want you to think about our worship here when we gather together corporately. I believe that what happens is in corporate worship, we're simply joining the chorus of heaven in worshiping God. So what are we to do? We are to give it our all. How do you think these cherubim or seraphim or whoever they are are saying holy, holy, holy? Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 holy! No, they are belting it out. Holy, holy, holy! How are we to worship God? Same thing. Fervent. Holy are you, God? All everything goes towards you, God. When we this is worship right here. Worship is learning and teaching. Is worship is when we praise God. Worship is when we go about our whole life. Everything we do with fervor for our God. All out for Him. Never halfway. You hear how God is, it's really loud. Thunders, lightnings, trumpets, voices that are loud off the charts. God is into us making noise before him. If I could jump, I could almost jump and make noise before him. Worship him with all you have. Should not this give us pause to think how infrequently we ascribe to him the praise and the honor and the glory that is due him? I mean, just think about your day and how often you just forget God. If God is so central, why is He so easily forgotten? You ever think about that? And how often in our day does God become the forgotten God? It's easy when we're when we have all kinds of work, when we're taking our kids here or there. It's easy when you're being bombarded 24-7 with the oh-no's of life, with all this stuff that's coming at you. How often in our day we simply forget God, set him aside, take him for granted, take him out of the forefront of our minds, and we're occupied with the dribble of life, the oh-no's of life. When I say the oh-no's of life, think about this. We're inundated with information, oh-no, masks. Masks. They're making us wear a mask. Oh, no. Or, oh, no, they're not wearing the mask. I can't believe these people are not wearing masks and they're contaminating. Oh, no. You know. Oh, no, the virus is surging. Oh, no. Another riot. Now, if you're going to watch Portland, are they going to do this all summer? Just every day, they're going to have a nice, another riot and call it a protest? All summer long. Oh, no, the stock market is falling. Oh, no, another loved one has gone off the rails. And how about this one? If you haven't had this one yet, you will. Oh, no, the bump. What is that? Oh, no, my health. And then this one, I I go through this all the time. Oh, no, did Trump really say that? I can't believe that. Did he really say that? And then I hear something just, just as bad. Oh, no, Pelosi. She's popped off with something. And the oh, no's go on and on, and God becomes the forgotten God in your day because you've been filled with the oh-no's. Now, how to survive the oh-no's of life? And you know the answer to this. We keep their focus. We refocus on God. The, the Jews had it really down. The nation of Israel had it down in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know this. It's the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Hear, Shema, O Israel. The Lord our God is one God. You teach these things to your children. You bind them around your hand. You put them as frontlets upon your head. You teach them upon the wayside. You, you put God before you all the time. That's how you escape the oh-no's. How about Psalm sixteen 8? You're living in this world today. You know what the oh are. You live through it. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be moved. That's a memory verse. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I will not be moved. I don't care what's happening in this world. And In the New Testament, we're told to, to dwell in Christ, to make our home in Christ, to, to get our security and safety in Christ. If I dwell in Christ, if I set the Lord always before me, then the O knows of life will not cripple me. That's what you can trust. No matter what, we will realize that God is good and God is in control. Say that with me. God is good and God is in control. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. The 24 elders, I believe they know that because I think they're the church. They know God is good and God is in control. James, James, and I think all the apostles, I think all the early church, even the ones that are persecuted and died for the faith by the tens of thousands in the early church, They knew that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like sifting sand. They know that God is good and God is in control, and hopefully we know this. God is good. He is in control. Folks, that's the cure for the oh-no's. I put my focus on him, not on the masks, not on the surge, not on the things that I'm being inundated with 24-7. I say, no, I'm going to focus on my God. What we know now about our God will be confirmed throughout eternity, that he is an awesome God. As the days grow darker, and you know they are, more unsure, I must really come to grips with this thing of who's in control. I have to come to grips with that. And verse 11 might help us with that. For you created all things, God. You created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. Everything in creation owes its very existence to God. God is supreme. He is the first being of the universe. He's the glorious creator of all things. He is the one who created all things. He created you. He holds this whole thing together. It says in Colossians that Jesus does this. God, he holds the whole thing together. And folks, I can rest in this. I can find my peace in this. Let me close with just these few thoughts. One day, God will redeem his creation fully. Chapter 5 tells us how this plan unfolds. A scroll, a deed to earth, the last will and testament of God himself. One who opens the scroll. Only Jesus can redeem mankind. Only a kinsman like Adam, a sinless man like Adam was, could redeem mankind. It could be no angel. No great man. It had to be a sinless Savior, one like us. Only Jesus could do this. The only one in all creation who could take the scroll from Father's hand and start to open it was the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The scroll is sealed. It contains the secrets of how he's going to do this. He's, he's, he divulged these secrets to us in chapters 6 through 18. Jesus opens the seals one by one. He pries them open. And he shows us how he will restore his rule on planet Earth, one seal judgment, one trumpet judgment, one bowl judgment at a time. Now, this is a side note. So let me take a breath. A side note. This is the traditional view of the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. The seal judgments are opened up. You get to the seventh seal. The seventh seal encompasses the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments. These are in order. These are sequential. These are in order. This happens, then this happens, then this happens. There is another view that you have to be aware of. It'll be the next slide. That these are concurrent. That the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments are all the same they're just giving more clarification on what's going to happen. I do not believe that is a correct view because when you see these things happen these are a little bit different. This this ramps up. This is awful. This is okay, get ready. This is awfuler and this is most awfuler, okay? So there is a difference and we will see that as we progress in our teaching. So, the day of the lord folks is a done deal. What we, we are seeing before us, things are happening right before our eyes, and I want you to realize this. It's uneasy to live now, but we are privileged, privileged to live at such a time as this. God is in charge. Don't ever forget that. God is amazing. God's will is being done. Nothing is shocking him. Nothing is stunning him. Remember, this is all played out. He's outside of time. So aren't you glad you serve the king of the universe? Aren't you glad you serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords, our redeemer? Our world is changing, but our God does not change. Now, here, Jesus said this in Luke 21:28, And actually, in context, it's talking about what happens when the tribulation period starts. We are not there yet. We are not in the labor pains yet. That's tribulation time. We are in the Braxton Hicks contraction times. We are in the, oh, no, this really hurts. This is the real deal, okay? That is what we are in right now. It's not the real deal just yet. But Jesus said this, and I think it's good for us right now to remember it. Now, when these things begin to happen, when you see this world devolving like we do today, look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Oh, can't you just hear, I love Brucknerbaum's thing, can't you just hear the footsteps of Messiah? Boom, 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 boom. I'm coming for you, church. I'm coming for you, church. I'm going to rescue you, church. I love it. In this seemingly out-of-control, trembling earth, be a wise saint, One wise saint put it this way. Wise is the soul who finds in the scriptures, that's your Bible that you're reading, the revelation of such an awesome God, and who bows now in the day of grace, in faith, and worship before God, whom we will serve for eternity. Oh, we bow now before you, God. This one who was on the throne is the one he will we will serve forever. The four living creatures know him, and they cry out, "Holy, holy, holy." The church in heaven, which is you, I believe it's you. They are they are crying out, "You are worthy. You are worthy to re- receive glory and honor and power." That is us, folks. It is before our God. In Him alone, will we bow, and give honor and praise and glory we'll give it to no man we'll give it to no movement we bow before our god the creator of the universe let's pray father thank you for this time thank you for this view of heaven lord i must admit there's a lot of mystery of the throne of god we don't we can't see everything here clearly but you've given us enough information that we can have kind of a an idea we know that some things are very clear that you're in charge That we can find our peace in you. We can find our peace by dwelling in your presence. We don't have to dwell in the oh no's because we know they're going to keep coming one after another. We know the thing is devolving, but we know that as it devolves, you're getting closer and your footsteps are getting louder. And it's becoming clearer to us this is the time when our God will come and take his bride away. Thank you for this word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for the precious truth that we have that we can hold on to. And, Lord, I just ask that you would help us to occupy, be ready, watch, not be deceived, not to be indoctrinated, and be faithful until you come back for us. In Jesus' name, amen.